Hey everybody, it's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney. Over there, Steve. I don't drink. Wine. That is right. Today we are talking Dracula, <coughs> the novel by Bram Stoker. Yes. See, and I did it too. I just rolled my R's. You have to be Hungarian. <laughs> I don't know. The only dude I've ever met that was Hungarian, right, was more like, What are you doing? <laughs> Well, I mean... I am Dracula! <laughs> Welcome to my castle! Yeah, but Bill the ghost was a morphine addict. <laughs> Welcome to my castle, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Count, why are you scratching? Why are you scratching, Count? I have an itch. <laughs> I have a fever. And the only cure is more cowbell. More cowbell. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Dracula, Bram Stoker, published originally in 1895, I believe it was. Yeah. Uh, the title, the title character, opened up his hotel in 1896, I believe. Okay. There's a little piece of trivia for you. The Dracula of Hotel Transylvania opened his hotel in 1896. Oh, I never saw that movie. That's uh, it's probably the best Adam Sandler movie. Oh, so it's just kind of bad? Mm. <laughs> it is Selena Gomez's best movie. <laughs> well, considering that... It would be the Wizards of Waverly Place holiday special or The Dead Won't Die. I'll I'll take your word for it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, everybody knows this fucking book. I mean, you know, whether you've read it or not, um, you're you're familiar with it, you're familiar with the basic story because you've either watched um, that that terrible uh, Francis Ford Coppola movie. I, I tried to watch that movie Jonathan in preparation Harker's for this. Journal. That movie is horrible. It is it is actually practically unwatchable. Yeah, well. Or the classic Bela Lugosi film. Now, now that, there's a movie right there. Which is, uh, I believe, an ad adaptation of the stage production of this novel. Which was penned by Bram Stoker. Duh. Very so, interesting. Yes, Blam Stoker was involved in the theater. The theater? <laughs> yes. That is how we pronounce it in Transylvania and Ireland. <laughs> Tran Transylireland. <laughs> Bram Stoker, an Irish writer. Uh, wrote one of the classic British novels that is in the American literary canon. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say it's in the American literary canon. I don't know. Well, I, I know this book has like a special place, particularly among horror fans, and it is the Halloween season. And uh, 
it deserves a special place. It's like one of the first horror novels. Not the first, but it's like one of the first. Right. It's it's not even really the first uh, vampire novel. No. You know, those, those that distinction goes to uh, either Va- Varney the Vampire or Carmela. I don't remember which one came first. But, um, you know, I, you know, I'll be straight with you right off the bat here. I, I didn't really dig this book all that much. And you find it to be one of the, like, you love this book. I love this book. I've read it um, more times than I can, than I can count. Um, every time I read it, it's, it's some, it brings me something new and exciting. Um, I get a lot out of it. Right. And, you know, I read it. This is the first time I've ever picked it up. Um, just because I, you know, not into vampires, don't really have much interest in it. And you oddly know, enough, it's just that- curious that, you know, it's, it's this particular book, which is the trope namer for a lot of the, what would come later is the sexy vampire. I don't think he was much of a sexy vampire. I think his, uh, brides may have been right um, in that, in that short passage where they're, they're involved, but, uh, they, not Stoker s- takes great pains right. to unsexify Dracula to make sure he is ab- abhorrent in mm-hmm. all all manner. Yet um, a lot of the a lot of the tropes of this book became part of that whole sexy vampire idea, and I think Bella Lugosi is probably more responsible for the vampires um, sexing up than Bram Stoker was. Because I don't even know if it's Bela Lugosi who's responsible for it. I think it's like fucking um, people who idolize that that um just that genre, that that style, that aesthetic who did it. Right. But I mean I, I think I, I, bl- I put it squarely on like goth culture mm-hmm. and Anne Rice. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah. I mean there is that. But you know there's a lot of the the um, Lugosi Dracula that's a lot different than than the book Dracula. I mean, there's you get this air of sophistication, of class, that you don't really get in the novel. You get Dracula is a creepy old man in, in the book, uh, particularly the early part of Jonathan Harker's ordeal in Transylvania. Yeah, yeah you, you get a lot of um, anger, Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's not a lot of, of positivity um, in in the portrayal of Dracula in this book. No, he he uh, was a he was a monster. The vampire is a monster and remained a monster all throughout the book, and you kind of get that idea because while I didn't really like the book, uh, I find it to be like the great novel, such as Citizen Kane is a great film you know the capital g great um but i see what he what he did there and what the style of this book is very interesting and you know that kind of hooked me when you said it is that dracula appears very little a little bit at the front a little bit at the back and the rest of it is you're seeing the influence of of the vampire or a vampire in the london area through the the characters almost in like passing with the exception right. of Lucy um 
but he, he's a, he's a presence. Yeah. Um, throughout the whole thing, but he's not present. Mm-hmm. Um, so for those of you who actually haven't read this or, or looked at the Wikipedia or whatever, uh, um, fair warning. We are going to spoil the shit out of this book. This is a hundred and what? 20 year old book, something like that. Yeah. It, it's an old fucking book. So, <laughs> and, and chances are you already know the story. If you don't, that's not my fault, man. That's just right. not my fault. Even if you've um, seen uh, Coppola's POS film, you basically know all the plot beats here. Yeah, kind of. Um, so the story was written as a series of diary entries, newspaper clippings, etc., from mostly the principal characters. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's basically, um, a third hand account of, or second hand account of eyewitnesses. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not happening as you're reading it. It, it unfolds through the eyes of various people, which is really, I think is a cool device. Right. Um, it, it's almost like a found footage novel. Right. Or, or an RSS aggregator, something like that. Um, if if there was a vampire in London in the late 1800s, I imagine the historical reference to it would be much like the Book of Dracula, uh, where you have the newspaper clippings, you have the journal entries of people that are directly involved. And really, you know, you say it's secondhand, it's really kind of firsthand because all of the information we get are from people who are directly involved in this case. Whether it is Jonathan Harker, uh, Professor Von Helsing, Jack Seward, Mina Harker, uh, Lucy herself, you know, you you get it all. You get it all from the people that are involved. You do not get Dracula's point of view at all, which is fine. Right. Um, you don't really need the monster's point of view. No, not really. Not really. Not in this. No, um, and. You know the the actual influence of the supernatural is is very very subdued. Uh, there are a couple of gotcha moments uh, pertaining to Lucy, particularly. Yeah, but uh, overall, it's it's really just. I think you compared it to a Call of Cthulhu scenario. It is. This is like the ideal Call of Cthulhu scenario because. Most of the action, quote unquote, is exploratory, uh, mm-hmm. researching, uh, go, going to uh, shipyards and looking at old sh- at shipping records, going to uh, rental agencies and, and getting bribing people to get the, the name of the leasey, that kind of stuff. Uh, which is basically what Call of Cthulhu is until the end, right? When you, and then you go go crazy, fighting a monster, or running away, or whatever, right? But even even to the fact of the plan of all of our protagonists in stopping Dracula, uh, Doctor Van Helsing has a pretty high occult skill, so he determines that uh, the boxes of earth that have been moving around all throughout London are need to be destroyed. So. You have that section where they're tracking the boxes and trying to take out the boxes mm-hmm. as well. So you have that aspect of it, too. And, yeah, I think elements of this book would make a fantastic role-playing campaign. And as we got to that climax, I was thinking that as well. 
probably on your suggestion. Yeah. So, um, the, the odd thing is that movie that we keep on talking about takes all of that and just kind of kicks it to the curb for sexy vampire time for sexy vampire time, (laughs) which is funny because in this, and every time I read this book, I keep on thinking to myself, am I missing something when I'm reading this? Is there some subtext where, where Dracula um, is, you know, in love with his, his uh, wife from ages ago, reborn in Mina Harker. And no, I'm not. Right. There's, there's no subtext for that at all. Dracula never actually speaks of any family other than his great line that fought off the Turks and defended the sovereignty of Transylvania. Right. Which was him. Right. His great line was him. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I do know that if you watch the, uh, the movie Nosferatu, um, the silent film that they do use a, a love plot kind of, mm-hmm. um, the, the, the woman, uh, tricks Dracula or Nosferatu or whatever into, uh, staying in her room, uh, until the cock crows and then he disappears and dust. It's all documented in the blue oyster cult song, Nosferatu. <laughs> Oh, um, <laughs> and I and and I know that subsequent uh, movies um, have used that subplot, um, but n- nothing like the uh, the un love the unlove of the ages kind of thing that Coppola's film had. Yeah, I think uh, we mentioned this when we were discussing Blackula. Is that uh, the reincarnated wife? is a major theme of that film that doesn't really come into play anywhere else in like the vampire mythos unless there's a, a hammer film. Uh, yeah, I'm missed. thinking maybe there's a hammer film, but I can't I can't recall any of that. Like the closest thing I can recall is um is Nosferatu. Mm-hmm. But even then it's a trap. It's not like sh- she loved him through the ages or whatever. It was a trap to, uh, to kill him. Whereas in, in the couple of film, they, there's a, like a love montage between Dracula and Mina Harker. Yeah. They kind of, they kind of take a sequence from the book and, um, where Dracula, this is one of the few direct, influences of dracula the few direct actions he's taken against our heroes is that he sneaks into the house one night and basically gives mina the vampire's you know uh baptism i believe it's called yeah and starts changing her and in the film it's treated as this like oh yeah you know feed on me forever and in the book it's just like uh mina really didn't want any part of it Right, and he was doing it, A, to be spiteful, mm-hmm. uh, B, to spy on them, mm-hmm. to learn their plans, which they did the old switcheroo. Right. <laughs> I mean, it, it's looking at it through modern eyes, <laughs> you you kind of go, oh, 
well, the thing to do here is to bring her into the room and feed her false information. Right, right. <laughs> Which is basically what they do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which at the time, I guess, was probably brilliant. Um, well, yeah, and because let's talk about some of the characters in the book. I mean, the main characters, you have Jonathan Harker, who is the initiator of the plot, a young lawyer uh, from from London uh, who travels to Transylvania to um, complete the sale of a property known as Carfax in right. in London that Dracula wishes to purchase, and he right. wants to move. I guess yeah, he, because... He you know, he wanted some. He wanted some takeout. I don't know. <laughs> um, I think they're they're onto him in in his neck of the woods. <laughs> He's probably not eating very well because everyone carries crosses and doesn't go out after midnight <laughs> and doesn't go to crossroads or anything like that because they all know in the in the beginning when he's traveling to right, meet all the, the count, everybody's like, "What the fuck are you doing?" And they're they're all like blessing him and and giving him crosses and all sorts of like anti vampire. Yeah, rituals. yeah, yeah. I think the the people that are local to the castle have gotten a little genre savvy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, I guess maybe he has a gypsy or a, a uh, what do they call the the skazetzi that um, like you know like check. Czech-born natives mm -hmm. that he, that are loyal to him that he can probably feed off of, <laughs> but um, I think you're right. They're genre savvy, savvy. Yeah, savvy. <laughs> They're savvy. Um, so he wants to go to the height of of everything in the 19th century, which was London. That is the center of everything, right? We all know that, right? Well, you know, when you're when you're from that uh, that region, the British Isles, Ireland, you know, yeah, uh, a more continental writer probably would have picked Paris. Um, maybe even an American writer uh, would have picked Paris or New York or or a Russian writer would have picked Paris. <laughs> yeah, to everyone else, Paris was was the capital of of Europe, but uh, except unless you were English, and then it was London. Right, because, you know, it is. Because uh, of Brexit. <laughs> oh, Dracula gets his Brexit on. <laughs> um, Appar apparently, there is a whole genre of fiction dedicated to um, filthy foreigners invading the British Isles. Mm. That was that was going around at this time as well. So not only is it like a horror novel, it's also an example of invasion novels, right? And an anti-immigrant stance in, yes. in fiction. And you know who who else would want a and, decadent and, rich guy? Well, I mean, he was uh, Eastern European. Mm -hmm. That 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 at the time that was not considered to be part of the uh, master race. That's right. Well, they they were Slavs, not Aryans. So, yeah. So yeah, I mean, you get, he had that going for him. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, I'm starting to root for Dracula a little bit in these in this. <laughs> <laughs> so, but see, but see, here here we go. Now, you you speak of that. However, we have Stoker, who is an Irish writer, uh, writing this book about London, and. 
if you really think about who the quote-unquote men of action are in this book, it's a guy from Amsterdam and a guy from Texas. That's true. <laughs> so so it's like Jonathan Harker is kind of, yeah, he's got his kukri, which suddenly he's like he's like a knife-fighting man halfway through the book. You know, he's just like, oh, kind of, kind of floppy-armed and whatnot. You know, until he gets gets up to the point where Van Helsing actually reveals to everyone he's, he's a vampire, and then which all, is all which is sudden, about halfway, like, three quarters of the way through the novel. The right. word vampire isn't used until way, mm-hmm. way into it. Right? He didn't even call Lucy a vampire. No, but um, well, they they do mention vampire in terms of the bats because the, the bats bat, had yeah. been discovered. Right. Um, but yeah, Jonathan Harker is just like completely ineffectual until, you know, we get to the climax, the word vampire has been uttered and, and he might be after Mina. Oh, well, hold on a second. Let me get this knife from halfway across the world that I happen to have. And then so I'm a plus, plus three undead slaying knife. Right, right. And he's suddenly an expert with it. Um, and really what I think it was, it was knife envy from, uh, Quincy. From Quincy, who had like a fucking Bowie knife. That's right. He had a Bowie knife and he wore it all the time. (laughs) Because that's how they do it in Texas. That's right. He was an open carry kind of guy. Quincy Morris, the main character who never had a diary page. Right. Never had a diary page. but He's like the main character that you don't actually get his point of view from anything. Right, you get everybody else's uh, version of his point of view, but he's pretty—he's a pretty colorful character, and you know, I'll say this: you know, this is a message to everybody who th- is thinking about picking up a pen and becoming a writer, or anybody who is a writer and they—they're kind of stuck when it comes to like dialogue. Do not ever write dialect, ever, unless you're Gene Wolfe. Unless you're Gene Wolfe, and you know he's dead now, and so because is Bram Stoker. Part of the mystery of the of the book, right? However, Bram Stoker has entire pages because everyone who records diary entry in this book has an eidetic memory and <laughs> can duplicate everything word for word, and they duplicate um, the dialect as well. In the defense of at least uh, Mina. She is a court secretary and is supposed to have a, a damn good memory. Mm-hmm. Um, in defense of Van Helsing, who really doesn't have a lot of uh, firsthand um, entries either. Uh, he is a uh, polyglot genius. So, yeah, of course. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a polyglot and a polymath. Yes. Uh, I he, think it says something like he has a... Like a dozen or more PhDs. Yeah, he's he's basically like a 90s Bruce Wayne or or uh, Doc Savage something yeah. like that. He's very much an aging pulp hero kind of guy because yeah. he he is very much, you know, and we, they allude to that too. They allude to their these characters uh past. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where um uh Jack Stewart saved his life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it didn't seem like he saved his life 
um, or like, you know, oh, you were being mugged. It was like we were in the jungle. Right. <laughs> and you were in a pot. <laughs> right. And it, it kind of makes you wonder what the, and, and that turns around and that's created another one of the, the vampire tropes, uh, particularly of Van Helsing, of, of Van Helsing being this man of action sort of character and Helsing right who who he is old in this book but you know you really wonder what he got up to in his older days because he is the Jackson Elias of of um vampire hunting he's like the bastard child of Jackson Elias and uh and uh Julian Benoit <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're going to make West jealous there <laughs> well they <laughs> you know, it's like when we were watching Blackula, we laughed at the at the medical examiner who punched out the vampire. You know, I can see I can see Van Helsing punching out a vampire <laughs> if he had to. No, because he has the strength of ten strong men. That's right. None of us should take him alone. Well, in that case, I think we need <laughs> Winchesters. That's right. <laughs> Fucking Quincy. <laughs> I just happened to brought a few. <laughs> it's like yes. why okay, okay. So so here we go. We have Quincy Morris is the the quintessential Western American stereotype because but he's he's like upper class Western American. Yeah, he's stereotype. like a he's like a he's a rancher with money and stuff like that, but he's kind of a he's he's kind of down to earth. He's he's probably other than the fact that he has money, he's probably a little bit in the lower tiers of the social classes that all of these other characters belong to. I'm sure he was there um in the at the Alamo. Right, something like that. But here we go. Or would we have be. He's he's traveling to England. We don't even know why the fuck he's in England, other than Lucy. Um, but he's he's traveled there. He's armed to the teeth. You know, he's not like I have. We need. I'll bring my Winchester. I have several Winchesters in a crate. I think there was like a lot of cultural exchange between Texas and London at the time because there's like a couple of uh, Sherlock Holmes stories where the where Texas um, plays a prominent role. Well, I and think, te- I think Texans uh, are there. It's just like, I, I don't know what it is about Texas. I think, I think Texas has a special place in, in the minds, particularly of this particular, of this time period, because it is like the, the final frontier, the last of the wild frontiers. Really? I mean, you know, everybody in Texas is Alan Quartermain. Pretty much, right? That, or that, Quincy Morris, or, or Quincy Morris. Quincy Morris is kind of an Alan Quartermain like character. Uh, even I believe uh, King Solomon's Mines kind of like post dates Dracula, but uh, if I remember my dates correctly, but yeah, Quincy Morris ha- is this kind of like big game hunter. You know, he's kind of even though he's got money and he's very polite. I mean, we see these this in the early exchanges with him and Mina that he's, you know, ma'am, it'd do me proud if you'd uh, move to America and be a cowboy's wife. <laughs> and no, right, like, no, I like can't. Lucy's going for that. 
right? She's like kind of going for it in her letter, and she's like, no, she, no, it it has to be my dear Arthur, who will be the, a lord soon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that that now I can see where that would annoy you, um, because a lot of these characters, well, all of these characters, are upper class. Even the ones that aren't upper class are mobile towards the upper class. And we're talking about um, Quincy, the Hark, the Harkers, the Harkers. Uh, um, yeah. He, the Harkers ended up inheriting a shit ton of money. Yeah, um, just like out of nowhere in the middle of it, the boss dies and gives everything to Jonathan. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, Lord Goldalming. <laughs> Because. And you learn, like, in the beginning that um, Harker and and uh, Mina aren't well off. That they're, like, working middle class people mm-hmm. uh, who all of a sudden, like, break through the, gra- the glass ceiling. Right. And now they have more. Now they have a house. Now they have more money than they know what to do with. Yeah. Now they're wealthy. They have a they they own a law firm. Right. Right. Exactly. Harker goes from being, like. Like a, a, a junior solicitor just passed the bar in the first chapter to he owns the law firm halfway through the book. Yeah. And and so I guess I guess that's kind of necessary because, you know, really they all kind of drop everything and go traipsing off to hunt down Dracula. And if you had bills to pay you wouldn't be able to do that. Mina and Jonathan really wouldn't have as big a part to play if their rent was due. Right. No, you're right. And, uh, well, Lord uh, Gamling, Glamling. Goldalming. Goldalming, or whatever the fuck his name is. Uh, He definitely had that credit rating. He was rocking that credit rating throughout that, like, third act. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, Seward has a bit of money, and Quincy was paying. It was Quincy and Lord Goldalming paying all the bills, really. Yeah, I wonder if Quincy didn't have some oil money. Uh, it, it's quite possible he had some. They never really said why, how he has the money, but they've made it quite clear that not only does he travel heavily armed, he travels with probably a crate or two of gold. <laughs> A couple so of suitcases it, it, filled with cash. The right. third suitcase is filled with bullets. <laughs> so they, they all have the means to do what they're doing. And what they're doing isn't cheap. No. Um, you and I could not do this. We couldn't be vampire hunters because who has the time to go and spend, you know, a, a week tracking down uh, bosses? Right. And, and, even Van Helsing has a fair amount of money because he travels between Amsterdam and London like three or four times. Yeah, he's just like, I have to go back and take care of stuff. Right, and he's like, two days later, hello, I am back, friends. I was detained. <laughs> I, I was I was detained. Yeah, sure, okay, I was, I was fighting a werewolf in Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't you seen my movie, Van Helsing? Yeah, I mean, you know, I... The, the implication is there that led to that film, which is also pretty bad. Um, but yeah, the, the implication was there is that uh, Van Helsing could kick some ass when he had to. Yeah, and not just like in the operating room. Right. I have studied 
I have studied medicine. I have six degrees in medicine, and I know 5,000 different ways to incapacitate and kill a man. Three of them are with garlic. This is not a mud hole. This is an operating table. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, and, and you have that because Van Helsing picks it up Pretty much right away, what's going on? Yeah, he he's um, despite all of his learning, he has an open mind, right? Um, which is the opposite of almost everybody else. Because, well, it is fantastic, but his most brilliant student, who is uh, Seward, Doctor Seward, the um, eminent alienist, cannot wrap his head around it, even when he sees what's going on with his own eyes. He can't believe it. He refuses to believe it. He can't even he can't even wrap his head around it when Van Helsing is explaining it to him. Yeah, uh, but, but if you think about it, if you don't have a uh, hundred and twenty years of vampire um, movie and and book and comic book history behind you, mm-hmm. it's a pretty uh, tall order. Mm-hmm. Well, we're also talking about the the late eighteen hundreds, which you know superstitions and stuff like that were supposed to be dead right at the time and all of that stuff uh is one of those things that you know vampires don't exist all of this hocus pocus mumbo jumbo sort of things like even van helsing is is lecturing seward and asking him what his thoughts on telepathy or telekinesis are and then he goes well you do believe in hypnosis Right. And he's like, yes, that's a proven fact. And then Van Helsing's like, okay, so you believe that this guy can go in and control somebody's mind, but you don't believe in telepathy? Right. So, it's a it's a little bit of a uh, how do you know she's a witch moment. Yeah, kind of. And, and and Seward, you can tell by the, the way he writes in his own, well, actually, he doesn't actually write until later he on. He keeps a verbal uh, diary. That's right. He's a he's a Victorian podcaster. Uh, <laughs> recording on all those Edison cylinders. Uh, he has the wax from the tracks of the Terminator X bun. Yes. And you can tell by the way he talks about Van Helsing. He Van Helsing was his favorite teacher. Uh, and and Seward was Van Helsing's favorite student, so he's got this this like awe whenever yeah. Van Helsing comes in to do anything. It's just like he comes in and he goes straight to work, and it's like I've never, you know, it's just like. <gasps> well, Van Helsing is larger than life, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's what it takes to beat this larger than life evil. Well, yeah, um, is someone else who's larger than life, but good. And and you don't get the sense that um, Van Helsing is pure. No, um, he's not Dracula's opposite in terms of morality. Uh, there's that that whole business that is kind of implied that something happened with his wife. Right. <laughs> Some weird shit went down with his wife that you don't talk about. That's right. We don't talk about Van Helsing's wife. <laughs> Maybe she was, you know, maybe she was vampires, um, but he does. He he comes in and he takes a look at Lucy. Lucy 
is Lucy got around. That's for sure. Well, I don't know quite if she got around. Well, I think that um, she came from a wealth, wealthy family. She was uh, probably a comely girl. Yeah, comely is 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 like understatement of the year. Um, uh, so she has money. She's uh, beautiful. She's young, eligible. Uh, she comes with some money herself. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she's desirable, and it it, it goes. It's kind of logical that um, more than one suitor would happen. Is it logical that it would all happen at the same time, and they would all be like buddies? Yeah, they're they're all like best friends, and 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 I guess you know just the love of Lucy, you know, is something that's kind of kind of shared between them because she says in her own journals that she would happily. Maybe with the exception of Seward being that he's so much older than she is, but uh, with you know Arthur and and uh, Quincy, you know they're like neck and neck. But she's going with Arthur or Arthur because you know he's local, and, he's British, and he's he's British and he's also a, a lord. And and Quincy is terribly sweet and and a man's man, so to speak, and. And I He's think, definitely been on a couple of covers of Boys Life magazine. That's for that, sure. That's, yeah, fighting off giant rats and, and weasels, crabs and weasels. <laughs> yeah. There's this one time over in the Rio Grande, I was uh, I was fishing for weasels sharks, my flesh, and I was attacked by this horde of weasels. They were ripping my flesh. It was just me and my fishing pole and my trusty Bowie knife. I named Martha Washington. <laughs> <laughs> but it, there's nowhere in that in the text that implies that she was a floozy. No, no, she's she's not a floozy, and... which is something that um, Coppola, who uh, apparently makes uh, makes you know cinema, right, right. <laughs> now there is a subtext between Lucy and Mina. That uh, could go either way. Um, yes, but, but Coppola uh, takes great pains to paint Lucy as a loose woman. Loose Lucy. Yeah, a, a woman of loose morals. Right. That she's um, very lax. But Lucy wait, is not very lax. She is, she is the most pure. She is prim, proper, and pure. Which is why when she becomes Dracula's first victim on in his new home, it hits really hard. Mm-hmm. Right. So Lucy uh, has a problem with sleepwalking. And yes. her first encounter, apparently, with Dracula occurred not too long after Dracula arrives. And her and Mina have been hanging out in the graveyard, as you did at that time, because it was like the only green space. In Whitby. In Whitby. Um, they had their favorite spot. I mean, this is kind of what people did back then. Whitby is kind of like Innsmouth. Right, I guess. Um, for, for the British Isles. Right. Apparently, there's a lot of fishermen. It's a small fishing village. It's a small fishing village. Right, and it's quaint and charming, and you know, and everybody's there. This was Dracula's point of arrival. Uh, and Lucy is sleepwalking. And she has um, she has this in spells, and shortly after Dracula's arrival, her sleepwalking fits begin again, 
and that is where we have her first encounter. Mina actually witnesses it, but on um, on the grave of a suicide or, or of a uh, an un what do they call it? The guy who was buried there was lost at sea. Mm-hmm. So unconsecrated, uh, possibly. It's weird because that was the whole like dialect thing you were talking about, right? That was like two pages. They the take novel. great pains to tell us that that particular bench is the grave marker of someone who isn't buried there. Yeah, but he did basically. I think you know he's lost his sea and all himself and all he governor and and. And 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 did he lost his seat and he wasn't baptized or anything like that? All this rot and stuff like that. Now, don't question me. You know, I might sound like I believe in the supernatural and stuff like that. And I do can't believe in the supernatural, but I'm not already into it. <laughs> sort of thing. And it's just this long rambling speech where we get the background of the guy who's occupying this spot. Or not occupying. Or not that occupying spot. that spot. But this is where Dracula chooses to uh, attack Lucy for the first time, right? I, I, you know, I wanted to say seduce, but really, it's it's not. Um, but soon after she 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 sleeps, walk more. Once Mina leaves, Lucy takes ill as she is starting to be transformed into a vampire. And Seward comes by on behalf of Alter Arthur because Arthur's father is sick as well, and. Arthur is spending all of his time up at the castle. And good thing too. Yeah, good thing. And Seward, you know, is he comes in and he's like, Man, I don't know what the fuck is going on here. Um let me make a phone call. Right. And he's also got his hands full with his pet lunatic. Right. Renfield. Mr. Renfield, who is a a zoophage. Who believes that uh, higher forms of life uh, can be ingested? Like life can be ingested to prolong your own, and the more the higher up the life form is in the food chain, the more uh, life force they have to imbibe. But, Which is uh, weird because it's called eating, right? <laughs> I mean, that's kind of how eating works. But but his his victims or his meals are generally taken alive. Rather than yes. uh, dead and prepared, he eats flies, snatches them out of the air, traps them spiders. with sugar, uh, feeds the flies to the spiders, and then eats the spiders. Once he's done with that, he catches the spiders, he feeds the spiders, he feeds the spiders to birds, and then then he eats the birds, and then he wants to get a cat. He just really wants a cat, right? And 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 Seward figures this out, and he's like, you know what? He wants to eat the cat. Uh, he wants to feed the birds to the cat and then eat the cat because, you know, that's that's how way the food chain works. And and we turn out that, that it's Renfield called eating. Right. It's it's called eating, but you know, we don't generally pop down and uh chomp on a cow. Uh, we grind them up and stuff, chop them up and grind them up and cook them first. Uh those of us who who are not vegans. Or vegetarians. Uh, now, Seward Renfield is somehow in the thrall of Dracula, and we never really get into that. Yeah, uh, we know that Dracula has appeared to him 
and made great promises to him. Showed him a vast army of rats. Mm-hmm. That was his to command, um, which probably impressed the lunatic with all the life that Dracula could command. That would be his. Mm-hmm. You will be the Rat King. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Master. Yeah. And, and Renfield, you know, is generally portrayed as kind of creepy. And I guess he would be, but there's also Seward talks in his journals about uh, Renfield having these great moments of lucidity, uh, particularly coinciding with cycles of day and night, of course. And still, Seward cannot put it together. But uh, well, because because you know, the reader knows, everyone knows, but the principles, right. Well, I would imagine that the first time this book was read, nobody knew. It was a big shock. It was right. it was a big like you know second act twist or something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know who Renfield is. He's part of the Dracula myth. He's a solid part of the whole. Oh yeah, uh, I mean mythology they, and pop culture. There's always a Renfield character. Right. And, There's always a a, a lackey. Mm-hmm. A lackey, and he's always kind of, you know, he's he's on this like very very early part of the the vampiric transformation. Like he's got the appetites, but he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have the equipment. There's no, no I think physical transformation. I think like Renfield is predisposed um, to to being an aide, and I, I don't think. I think he would have been frustrated later on had um, he gone on because I don't think he's quite vampire material. Right. <laughs> yeah, uh, Renfield, we talked it over, me and the boys, and uh, you're not quite vampire material. You're just, uh, uh, you're batshit crazy. Yeah, uh, best we can do is ghoul. Sorry. Um. Now, Seward is attending to Lucy, who is is very sick. Uh, He cannot figure it out, even though he is probably uh, one of the second best doctors in in the world. Uh, I think he might even admit that he's second best. Uh, So he calls up his former teacher and old friend, uh, uh, Abraham Van Helsing, who is the best doctor in the world. Well, you can just tell because his name is Abraham. Right. He's 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 got it all. Um, well, that that was Bram Stoker's right. real name. Was Abraham Bram was shortened. Right, Abraham so, Stoker, uh, Abraham Van Helsing. Yeah, I mean, he's the man. He's like the author's alter ego. He is the Mary Sue. He really is. He can do anything. Or Marty Stu. Right. Um, and so he he asks uh, Arthur. For permission, Arthur's like, yeah, whatever it takes, you know, just to, just save her, man. Just save her, just man. Save just, her. I, I don't care what I you gotta her. do. I love her. She I will be my bride. Her. You know, just don't tell her mom anything because her mom's got a weak heart and and the shock yeah. will kill her. So, not only is is Seward and Von Helsing who comes in, he looks her over a little bit, and you can tell by the way he's being described in his actions, that Van Helsing has an inkling of what's going on 
from the from his, the onset, from the first time he walks in and oh, Caesar, yeah. that he's he's got kind of an idea. And, I think he kind of knew just from um, from Seward's telegram, right? And so you have Van Helsing, who is playing his cards close to his chest, but he's he also ratcheting up the tension, right? And so he's doing all this stuff. Plus, he's trying to like play it off being cool. He's like, "Oh no, this is just something we do in Amsterdam." Yeah, <laughs> uh, trying to figure out what what the cause of the problem is. Don't 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 worry about it all that much. And Van Helsing uses a technique that was brand new, brand new technology for for the days of Bram Stoker, and that was the uh, blood transfusion. It is. Really lucky for Lucy that they all had the same blood type. Right. Blood typing was unheard of, but thankfully everybody's blood was O. <laughs> well, it it is... <laughs> it's important because one of the big themes of this novel is um, blood being somehow tied into um, the spirit. Mm-hmm. And what, what, you know, part of what makes a person, you know, a, a unique person. And uh, Dracula steals blood. Right. And everyone, um, all three of the suitors and Van Helsing, all give freely their blood to Lucy. Mm-hmm. Right. Which, that was an interesting moment later on in the book where Arthur is like, she had my blood running through her veins. I feel that we were already married in the eyes of God. And Seward and Von Helsing are like, should we tell her about the other three guys? (laughs) 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 And and Van Helsing's like, I think it's better we don't. Yeah. That's <laughs> an interesting hypothesis you have there, Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it is important. And, you know, that that's the funny thing. It's like, you know, Arthur was like, yes, I will do it right away. And and, and he does it. You know, Van Helsing and, and Seward are both kind of like, oh, you know, if we absolutely have to, you know, we'll do it. But Quincy is just like, it's for my boy and my girl. Cut me open, son. Here, use my use Ju- Martha Washington. <laughs> I cut. I cut. Here, I'll make the decision myself. <laughs> and you know, and it, that's that's kind of you know how how they made uh, Quincy's character interesting to me was that the fact that he was down. Always down for his homies. Yes, I mean to the to the bitter end, because it's it's Quincy that that actually, uh, you know. Spoiler alert! Yeah, the spoiler alert. It's Quincy that actually goes toe to toe with Dracula and yeah. and gets the better of him. And it, it's still light out. <laughs> it's still light out. It's barely, barely, and <laughs> but it's like. They're talking about it, and and they're like, you know, they couldn't stop him. Quincy just charged headlong with his big knife and just. <laughs> <laughs> they're wading through like an army 
of like uh, of Czechs and mm. Romani. Yeah. <laughs> Who are like so? All right. So the, the the climax of this whole thing is one of the greatest scenes ever, because you you have like the, the, the they track Dracula's last remaining coffin mm. through uh, Mina, right. through their 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 uh, vampiric telepathy, right? And uh, they track him all the way, and they're going. He's going back to Castle Dracula, and there's one point where like there's only one way to do it now. So you get this chase scene where you have three parties involved coming two coming from different directions to cut off this like band of like rabble who are, who are transporting the, the, the coffin and the sun is going down and throughout the whole book you're, you're just told once the sun goes down vampires are unbeatable. <laughs> Right, right, and, it, and it, Van Helsing repeats this several times, and it lends this sense of urgency to this chase. And you know, it's like God created man; John Winchester made him equal. <laughs> and now, vampires don't—I don't know—they don't disappear in a cloud of ash when sunlight touches them. In right. This. right, they're just normal. They have no special powers during the day. Mm-hmm. They're just, they had just have their base cunning. Right. Uh, and that's it. Mm-hmm. So you got to get them before the sun goes down. Right. And, and the whole thing with vampires sleeping during the day is just because they're at their weakest, like humans are at their weakest at night. Really. Right. They're nocturnal creatures. Right. But uh, yeah, you have this climax. You got two sides bearing down. You got our heroes who are all, you know, they're they're at that point where they're the Blues Brothers, and they're like, we got we got a suitcase full of bullets, half a pack of cigarettes. It's it's dusk, and we're wearing sunglasses. Three hundred kilometers to Castle Dracula, right? And and, and got and, half a pack of cigarettes. And Quincy Morris is just like, let's go. <laughs> They wade through just a, a, a pile of rabble mm. and the and the Bowie knife, right? And, and yeah, he run, like runs out of bullets, and he's just like taking them out with the Bowie knife. <laughs> yeah, Jonathan Harker, of course, is like you know samurai lawyer as well because he has his kukri that he's like you know he wants to be he wants to be Quincy so damn bad at this point. <laughs> that you know he got his knife and hell. I, I I forget. I think it was Arthur decided that everybody had to be armed. So you know, even Mina had a big ass fucking pistol, <laughs> which is you know, it's kind of funny. The way that women are treated in this novel, mm-hmm. I think, well, especially Mina, um, as an individual, she's actually part of the crew. Right. She, like, is... Which is, you know, it's 1895. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of unheard of. Right. That that the the, the evolution of her as a character where she actually gets to be part of the action. Mm. She... uh, Because there are discussions of leaving her behind because she's a woman, blah, blah, blah. Um, 
but she turns out to be like uh, the linchpin. Well, the linchpin uh, because of the vampiric telepathy, but she's also she is like she's like Oracle in, in a way. You know, she knows all the train schedules from here to fucking Moscow, and yeah. and you know. And she's she's the one that actually puts two and two together when Van Helsing is beating around the bush, and you know he's like oh no 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 she he's talking about vampires y'all, and, right? Um, which is it's strange it's it's almost refreshing <laughs> because a lot of the times you can say you know for the time blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. And sound a little disingenuous in doing so. But in this, for the time, Mina actually, you know, she was treated pretty squarely mm-hmm. by Stoker. Yeah, and, um, and Mina I, was a big t- fan of the idea of the quote-unquote new woman. Where to, to the point, though, where the rest of the gang basically says, oh, no, you're going to stay. You're, you're done. You're staying. And she makes arguments as to why she should be included. Mm-hmm. So it's not somebody doesn't stand up for her and say, no, she has to do this. She, she stands, stands up, up for, for herself. herself. Which, um, you know, it's not great. It's not 100%, you know, equality. But right. for 1890 blah, it's, it's pretty <laughs> good. <laughs> yeah, because... Because at its heart of it is it, it is a tale of of friendship, and you know most of this band of characters comes together really to exact revenge for what Dracula did to Lucy, mm-hmm. and and Mina is like Lucy's oldest and dearest friend, and she's and she's basically you know no you're not cutting me out of this. I want a piece of that motherfucker as well. And they're all like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> Goddamn right. You know, and Seward's like, no, no. And Van Helsing's like, hmm, I like this one. <laughs> I, I, now, I hate to say it, um, but almost the best non, you know, non this book portrayal of Lucy or of Mina, maybe Alan Moore. Uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yes. Where she comes on and she's like, all, like the she, de facto leader. Yeah. Where she like kicks ass and takes names. Mm-hmm. Um, just in terms of what you get from Dracula and what you get in uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, the comic, not that thing that was, a movie, I guess. Well, even in that thing, she was still pretty much a powerhouse and, and, and the de facto leader of the group. Where she's uh, bossing around Alan Quartermain in the comics. Yeah. So, yeah, so there you go. There's something positive to say about Alan Moore. Yeah. For a change. So it's a, it's a first on Microphones of Madness. That's right. Damn shame what happens to everybody else in that comic. <laughs> well, you know, she got Alan Moore in Dracula, so <laughs> so Alan had to go. Well, I had to. I got to do something else. It's already been done. It's already, this character's it's already been done. So I got to do it to the Invisible Man instead. 
<laughs> uh, it's funny because it's true. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so yeah, Quincy Morris is is the man who stops it, and and he pays the ultimate price. Uh, I guess because he's the American, he's also the only one who's he really has nothing to lose. Uh, well, in terms of what you know, right? In terms of what we know, he. I'm I'm sure his mother loved him. Oh yeah, I'm I'm sure, but he's but probably really, also he's also the only character who didn't suffer somewhat during the course of the novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone had like had, no interest in him at all. Well, everyone else had like a per- parent or parental figure die. Mm-hmm. Well, well, not um Van Helsing. Not Van Helsing either, but like of the principles, Van Helsing's almost not even a principal character. He's right. just kind of like a force of nature. Yeah, he's he's like you said, he's kind of the opposite of Dracula, and he he only makes one or two like direct narrative appearances. Otherwise, it's everybody describing what he's doing, and it's only because that he's in the proximity. But he is kind of this eye of the storm that keeps pulling everyone along. He's like the Tyler Durden of. Of Dracula, <laughs> he doesn't really exist. He's he's he's, he's really Jack Stewart's um, alter ego. Alter you know? ego, his imagination. He's he's Captain Amsterdam, and <laughs> and he puts together his own league of extraordinary gentlemen. But uh, Quincy doesn't have a parent die or or anything like that. Really, no. He he just you know he. He's, he's the he's only also, one who doesn't suffer loss, right? He's, he's very from stoic, Lucy, aside from Lucy, right? But. And even then, he's he's more stoic. I mean, he's not you know he's got to be the strong one of of their of the Arthur Quincy relationship, where you know Arthur is the one who's beating his chest and and sobbing into his hands, and Quincy's got to be the rock for him. So right. it's he's he is a he's a supportive character. And, you know, he is, he like I said, he was the guy that was always down for his people. And that group of people quickly, uh, that group of characters quickly becomes his people. And his his demise is really kind of the, the height of him, you know, just being like this, almost this kind of knightly kind of characters that, you know, he threw himself. At Dracula, he's like, no, nobody else, you know, didn't give anybody else a chance. Right. It was like, he was the first one into the fray. And, you know, and he he did strike the death blow. And, and you know, wannabe Quincy finished him off. <laughs> wannabe Quincy. Yeah, I mean, you know, you would think Jonathan Harker would not be like, would not be the person to actually behead Dracula. You know, it just seems like that would be something beyond him, that it would have to be Seward or Van Helsing being medical men and having the stomach for such a thing. Well, I think that the PTSD of being uh, Dracula's prisoner. Right. And what he did to Mina. For like three months. Right. And what Dracula did to Mina. So he's got like a bunch of pent up rage, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, quintessentially British. Yes. I'm just going to give you one warning, fellow. (laughs) 
And so Dracula dies, and everyone goes to have tea after they give Quincy a proper burial. They do. They do the whole five years later thing. Right. Five years later, you know, Dr. Van Helsing is leading a support group. Um, <laughs> you know, Seward climbs out of the back of a, a, a cart uh, after being trapped in there for five years. Yeah, no, no one is, like, completely and emotionally um, scarred from this. No. Had this. Had this been a Call of Cthulhu game, everyone would be in deep, deep um, analysis. Right. John, John Harker and Mina, they go back to London and, and do the, I'm a big shot lawyer. We I'm a lawyer now. now. Et cetera, et cetera. Because, you know, killing the vamp, killing Dracula cured Mina, supposedly. But at night, Mina dons a costume and stalks the streets looking for criminals. That's Alan Moore. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but, you know, to, 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 to give credit to him one more time, sorry, um, that it does... Had Exceeding she, the quota. Right. Uh, <laughs> For the year. Had she, had she retained those abilities... You know, it, it seems like a logical next step for her because she is that type of person who'd be out there seeking justice. Yeah, she'd be like Blade. Right. She'd be an all different kind of Batwoman. <laughs> Alan Moore's Batwoman. <laughs> Mina Harker. Now, interestingly enough, um, your boy HP mm-hmm. did not like this. Well, yeah, because you know these are these are people of of action. There were no shrinking violets at all in this story, and but you know Robert E. Howard would have been like, "Hell yeah, I like that Quincy Morris guy." I wonder how much uh, Quincy Morris is in some of Reh's writing. Uh, it, probably a lot of his westerns, I'm sure, and maybe just a little bit of Conan. Cause, cause that's Conan is one of those guys who's down for his people all the time. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I would imagine Quincy Morris like really kind of influenced Conan, or that's really that really is kind of a Texas thing. Yeah. Conan, what part of Samaria are you from? San Antonio. <laughs> that's right. I'm Conan from Samaria. Conan. Uh, Actually, in the original Sumerian tongue, we pronounce it Quincy. <laughs> uh, it's it's Quincy of Samoris. Say, uh. <laughs> so there you go, our spooky reading Ooh. for this October. Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yes, I, I'm. You know, I will say that. Compared to some of the stuff that you read and see today, yes, it's a little dated. Hmm. Um, even with vampire fiction, it's a little dated. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, you take it for what it is. You don't read something written in 1890, blah, and expect it to be, you know, the action-packed um, vampire sagas that you that you see today. 
Well, yeah, and and most of the, a lot of the vampire sagas you see today, you know, like Twilight, written. right? <laughs> and the vampire's point of view is all over that. But uh, yeah, this probably you know, back in the days when the vampire was just a monster. And, yeah, I mean, like I said, I didn't enjoy it, but I can appreciate the uniqueness of the, the narrative device of using the journals and newspaper clippings and things like that. That I enjoyed. Um, I did enjoy some of the characterizations, I, like Van Helsing, uh, Seward, uh, even Mina, and, of course, Quincy. I think he might be one of my favorite characters in the book. I get a feeling that your next Call of Cthulhu character's name is probably going to be Quincy something or other. Uh, only only if we're playing down darker trails. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's great with a big G, and I know I understand why. It's just one of those things that it was a bit of a, of, of a slog, I would say. Because, yeah, he's... Pacing it was not his necessarily his strong suit, and that yeah, might wa- be that might be a side effect of the device. Yeah, now I'm wondering because I've read this uh, on and off all my life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, since I was at least you know single digits, maybe like nine, ten years old. Mm-hmm. I've um, really, and I'm wondering if my love for it um, just sheer love for it because i don't the pacing doesn't bother me or anything Mm -hmm. but i wonder if that's just because i'm so used to the book you know it's it's the story you know it's the the only thing i forget sometimes about the story are like maybe a detail or two it's but like the whole thing you know as i read it you're like oh yeah 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 oh right 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 Mm -hmm. you know Right. And, and, you know, and my dislike of the book could be because I've, I'm picking it up now for the very first time, you know, 44 years of life and countless, uh, iterations of vampires. Plus uh, you're from New Orleans. Right. So it's like, I mean, isn't like, isn't like vampire an anagram of New Orleans? Uh, maybe, uh, I, I don't know. It's like a lot of my friends from that area when I was in college and whatnot were really, really, you know, into vampires. Just just that the idea of it as a monster. Um, But, you know, there was a lot of stuff there in that time period. You had the Anne Rice books. You had Blade coming out on the big screen. You had a bunch of different stuff, especially over the years. You had, you know, countless vampire movies once uh, Lost Boys, Once Bitten, uh, Vampire in Brooklyn. Vampire in Brooklyn. Uh, what was the one with uh, George Hamilton? Uh, Love, Love at First, first bite. bite. You know, which I that's one of my favorites. Is was Love that's at first Zorro bite. the Gay Blade of vampire movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and even even to the point of Dracula Dead and loving it. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny because Dracula Dead and loving it is a more. <laughs> um, Faithful Just adaptation. Faithful adaptation of this story than fucking Francis Ford Coppola's fucking Dracula movie. I mean, that's sad when Leslie Nielsen plays a better Dracula than Gary Oldman. Right. That's all I'm saying. Hey. 
I'll give it to you, man. It was a pretty funny movie. Um, so, yeah, that's all the time we have for this evening. Uh, join us next time for more Microphones of Madness. And as always, keep 30 lock points.